Hey everybody, I'm Nathan George, and this week on the Digital Marketing Wingman podcast, we're talking to Garrett Mergoot from Directive Consulting over in the States. He runs a B2B digital marketing agency, and he scaled his business from uh, a six-figure business to a multi-million dollar business. So he shares some of his insights and experience on scaling a business in this week's episode. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Digital Marketing Wingman Podcast, the podcast where we bring you helpful tips and advice on websites, Google, and social media. All right, everybody, welcome to the Digital Marketing Wingman Podcast. This is episode number nine, and today we've got uh, a bit of a treat for you because we've actually got an international guest on the show. Uh, welcome to Garrett Mergut from Directive Consulting. Hey, hey, Garrett. Thanks, uh, hey, thanks, Nathan. Glad to be here, man. So it's uh, great to be on the show. It's crazy technology. Let's just chat across the world right now. So glad to be here and having a great time. Yeah, awesome. Now, you're the co-founder and the uh, CEO of Directive Consulting. Tell us a little bit more about what they do and yeah. Yeah, so Directive is a B2B and enterprise search marketing agency. We help in-house marketers uh, at companies kind of navigate search and figure out how they can make their brands not only more discoverable, but also generate leads. And so it's kind of a process of positioning brands to be discovered within search engines um, and as well as generating leads and tracking that all the way down to sales data instead of marketing data. So it's a pretty uh, robust offering that's fully focused on search. And yeah, we're having a blast doing it. Okay. And what's, what's your story? How did you come to be where you are now? Um, hard work, luck, and I guess kind of just falling into it. Um, yeah. yeah, I started this agency right out of getting my master's. So I graduated in about three years, uh, did my master's in a year, and was working a couple jobs, was selling social media calendars on Fiverr. Uh, independent contractor for a couple guys and then I kind of fell into algorithms by figuring out how to show up on Fiverr's homepage for my like social media calendar and after kind of figuring that out I was like I wonder if I can figure Google out so I started reading everything that Moz and Search Engine Land had written and kind of started to figure out I printed some flyers I had my Peugeot 103 SP moped from 1978 that I was riding around trying yeah. to, you know, get new clients, eventually got a Mediterranean restaurant as a customer and not really a search though, more just around general marketing consulting, getting his Yelp set up, his Facebook set up, um, kind of just a really, really basic entry level kind of marketing stuff. Yeah. And from that, I kind of learned a lot because, you know, on the 30th day of working with him, I came in to get my check. He said, come back tomorrow. I said, great. Showed up the next day and the whole place was boarded up. And so that was actually the very first ever engagement at Directive. So it started with frustration and failure. And, you know, no matter how successful you are, those two things don't go away, frustration and failure. And so it's been a crazy journey, but that's kind of how we started. Yeah. And so we, we might get into it further into this, but niching down, like, did you know that you wanted Directive to be B2B from the start or was that something you kind of just fell into? Yeah, no clue. Definitely no clue. I mean, the whole thing I've fallen into. So I'm not some strategic genius who was trying to build this B2B agency from the start. I mean, if I were to redo it now, after five years experience working with blue chip brands and everything we've accomplished, 
I would do things definitely differently. Um, you know, that like, would you change anything? I'm like, hell yeah, I changed a lot of things. And so, um, but for that, you know, we really did start just mostly local, you know, so I was doing that, you know, that one Mediterranean restaurant and then, you know, a hookah shop and then a plumber and then a color psychiatrist. I don't even, she called herself the color whisperer. So she yeah, would yeah. like do interior design for your mood based and then pick out all sorts of crazy, just small businesses for, you know, average account yeah, yeah. was like 250 bucks a month. I thought we were balling and, yeah. and that was kind of, you know, how we started. It was just trying to create value and for as much value that I could or we could create, we would charge. And, and now we get to charge more because we can create more value. Um, but yeah, it's been a, definitely a process that had very humble beginnings for sure. Yeah. Right. And, um, now you're quite you're much larger than obviously your clients are much larger. Tell us a little bit more about I guess your team and the type of clients that you work with. Yeah, we have an awesome team. Uh, you know, full team of directors and leads um, on the management side. No accounts, really strategic focused. Um, we got over sixty employees. Um, only working with about seventy something accounts. So very very focused on growing through quality of accounts, not quantity mm -hmm. of accounts. Yeah. Um, working with blue chips and awesome brands and really just now focused on how do we help these people? I think it's such a different approach you know, that we're learning is when you're in professional services or in an agency and you're working with someone, that person puts a lot on the line when they say, I recommend directive to CMO, VP, board, whatever that is. Mm. And for us, it's really important delivering and serving that person honorably and respectfully and accomplishing what we set out to together. And so, you know, now it's really about working with those individuals at these large organizations and supporting their goals. We also work a lot in the mid-market, you know, so, you know, mid, I, I still think the mid-sized companies are pretty darn big, but they're not necessarily the enterprise companies. Um, yeah. But no, it's it's been a really fun journey and just getting to support those people and help them look good is get raises, get promoted. I mean, to me, is all part of the fun. It's not just about, you know, us. It's also about our clients as, you know, men and women and how they're growing their careers and how we're partnering with them. Yeah, right. So, so just on referrals, um, we're going to talk a little bit today about scaling businesses. Um, yeah. Why is it that word of mouth is so important to, to growing a business? I mean, it's just a direct, it's a direct reflection of the quality of your product more than anything. Um, I don't think referrals actually help you scale a business if you start grassroots like I did. Um, mm -hmm. not because they don't work, it just doesn't work necessarily for where you're going. What I mean by that is when you start and you're doing $250 consulting, $250 accounts tend to hang out and know other $250 accounts. Yeah. And so if you want to go from $250 accounts to $50,000 accounts, you can't just rely on word of mouth because they don't know the $50,000 accounts. And so... Mm -hmm. Now, where I'm at today, word of mouth is like the most important thing because I'm finally where we want to be. And we're not even necessarily there. Like we still have to invest, I mean, very, very heavily. I'm talking fifty dollars to $100,000 a month in sales and marketing to try to acquire those enterprise accounts. Mm -hmm. And so it's more now learning, okay, what does that acquisition process look like? And then once you start getting the accounts you dream of, then nothing's more important than word of mouth. But you can't just hope that people will talk to people they don't know. 
And, mm. and, and so, yes, they're important in scaling a business. So if I were to restart and I just had one blue chip account and I wanted to get another, word of mouth would be huge and I could scale through it. Yeah. But when you start from nothing, you can't get word of mouth to something. You have to kind of force that. You can't just organically get to that necessarily, at least not in shorter time frames. So is it a matter of like identifying where you want to be first? So what sort of clients that you want first and then working towards that rather than growing through your clients? Yeah. Or, I mean, I mean it's maybe, exactly, maybe it's, it's possible, but it's a slower process. Yeah, so the way we did it was not necessarily, like we, we try to turn every client into a case study. So it's not necessarily inherently word of mouth, but it's quality of work. And yeah. so in other words, if I can turn a $250 person into a case study, I can sell that to a $1,000 person. And, and so on and so on. And that's kind of how we got from 250 to 50,000. It, mm. it is just slowly understanding that y you can't just say you're good. You got to show that you're good and you got to have the people that'll prove it a and the data and the clients and all those things. And so, you know, it, it's a process for sure, but the process is really just about developing yourself, developing your company and, and choosing exactly what you're saying, what is best for you? Because, it's way too hard to run a business to not build something that you're not deeply passionate about yourself. So if you're deeply passionate about the work, it's very difficult to have a very big, like deeply, see, I'm deeply passionate about the work. I'm not necessarily deeply passionate about having to do the work myself. So I'm deeply passionate about the work my team does and the culture we build so that passionate work is a byproduct of every man and woman in the organization. That's what I'm passionate about. See, other men and women are really passionate about individual individually contributing. That's what gets them excited. That gets their juices flowing is when they actually did a really cool audit or a really great this or a really great that. And so those people should stay boutique. You, that doesn't mean you're small, by the way. It doesn't make you make mean, mean you make less or more money, by the way, right? Like my, I personally could theoretically make more money only servicing three accounts and having one employee, right? Like theoretically, I could have three 25K accounts that pay $25,000 a month, and I serve them in less hours, less headaches, and less time. But, yeah. see, I'm deeply passionate about leadership and management and personal development. See, I don't have to get better. I can be kind of a bad human. And not even a bad human. It's not a, not a daily getting better. I mean, I'm not stretched. I'm not in the fire if it's just me and one employee. Once you have to start dealing with all these different men and women and their different backgrounds and their different circumstances and figuring out what motivates them, that's, to me, the biggest stretching point for me and getting better as a man as to how I lead people, my character and all these parts. And so to me, that's what I'm most passionate about even more so than the money. And so that's why I want to have a large agency is because I love the growth that results in how I'm priming myself for whatever's next in my life. And I think the only way you can really do truly big special things is if you're putting yourself in those situations to get ready for it. Yeah, right. And so I, I met a lot of business owners uh, through like Chamber of Commerce yeah. and things like that, networking. And I, I hear it all, time and time again that they, they don't advertise, they don't spend a cent on advertising and that they exist um, but purely on word of mouth. <laughs> and it's almost like they're proud of it. Like I don't spend any money on advertising. Um, and it might be that they're satisfied with where they are you know, in life. But do you think that combining your passion that you have uh, with word of mouth is enough to scale a business? To scale a business? No. Yeah, not or do you need to invest? Like, do you need to actually invest in paid advertising, content marketing, or do you think you know the work alone is enough to to scale? No, the work alone isn't a scale, or else I want to be on podcasts every day and speaking at conferences and everything else. I mean, nobody wants to do work that does isn't valuable, right? Yeah. So, yeah. 
The, the no, the truth is, if you want to scale, you have to acquire customers faster than you lose them. And if you think you can get up to a certain point and not lose customers and rely on word of mouth, then you're drastically okay with anxiety, because what you're not understanding is you don't technically own your acquisition channel. You don't have something that you can control or influence. You cannot control or influence word of mouth. You only know so many people, Nathan. At the end of the day, you only know so many people. So after a while, and then I don't close everybody you refer. Now, obviously, I love referrals. I mean, they're the best. They close the most. They have the highest close rate. They have the lowest cost per acquisition. I will. I mean, nothing is better than a referral. Don't get me wrong. But I don't get like 10 referrals a week to like try to grow my company and like get to the next level. It doesn't work like that. Like you're a busy dude. Like what do you want me to do? Hit you up every week? Like, hey, Nathan, who else you know, man? Hey, I know you're paying me all this money, but who else you know? Right? It's not, it's fine if you're trying to be a smaller practice. It's great for boutique. It's great for that. It's a world class. You can pay yourself more. You grow as you grow. It's casual growth. It's comfortable growth, but it's not rapid or scale. Growth. Uh, uh, product can build it in a little better because remember too, I'm talking professional services. So what I mean by that is I only have 70 accounts. Like who the heck? Like how many referrals can I get? It's not like I'm a software product, right? With a hundred thousand users that yeah. has natural growth referrals built into the product. Like that's yeah. amazing. That's awesome. I'm, not, I'm talking about if you only have so many comp- cu- customers, you and you want a ton and you want to be the biggest. You can't be the biggest in anything and rely only on word of mouth outside of software. You can't be like the biggest professional services firm, only word of mouth, unless you're like a Northwestern Mutual, right? New kid shows up straight out of college, he or she is, you know, their whole job is asking five people for references every day. So you can like scale it and go like that, but you have to turn people into like where they just essentially manipulate and misuse and abuse their own personal networks. And, and I, I, I'm not really, I, I kind of keep my work life and my personal life separate. So for me, it's, yeah. you know, a little different that way. So how do you scale, say if you, you, you create this machine that generates leads and, you know, you, maybe you're really good at closing, how do you scale safely, like financially for a business that, you know, you don't want to take on too much work that you can't deliver on, you don't want yeah. to hire too many staff that you can't keep the sales funnel, like, the throughput coming in, how do you manage the back end, the finances of growing fast? Okay, so we're going to talk about three things here. Uh, Number one, there's a tool called Fathom. It's Mm -hmm. ridiculously cheap, and it's like the best CFO you could ever dream of, and it's better than any CFO I've ever talked to um, Mm -hmm. for making decisions. So it's called Fathom. Your team, your audience should check it out. World-class tool. I'm talking like 20, 30 bucks a month, like practically they pay me to use it and it's amazing. So number one, that helps. Number two, you know, if you can keep your gross profit anywhere between 50 and 60% and you're not silly with expenses and not buying dumb things, which a lot of us tend to do, uh, myself included, I have to fight those urges. Uh, you'll be okay. And then as long as you keep your sales marketing and overall costs of acquisition, your cost of sales, as long as that's 10% of your revenue, you'll never run out of money. Yeah. So, you know, try to target 50 to 60% gross profit margin. Don't overspend in any areas. And then keep your cost of sales, your sales marketing salaries, your advertising costs, all of that at 10% of revenue. And you'll grow like crazy. Did you say 50 to 60% profit margin or 15 to 16? 50 to 60 gross profit margin. So on your cost of goods sold. So on the delivery of what people are paying for. On the net, I mean, net 
is different for everybody for a lot of reasons. So I don't worry about that's mostly based on executive decision making when it comes to net. Uh, in yeah. my opinion, gross profits, the actual like reality of delivering what you sold. And you want to make sure you can deliver at about 50 to 6. That means you need to cut costs or raise prices. So, Sure. Okay. Um, what have been some of the traps that you've experienced yourself along the way as you've grown? Um, I think two things, really big things I've learned, especially in the last like six months. Um, Coaching and training are entirely different, and 99.9% .9 of us do training, and almost nobody does coaching, and we all need to be doing coaching and not training. Training is having a learning management system, having um, checklists, having learning guides, having SLPs. Like, that's training. You show up. You, training is things that, like, the individual can do on their own to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Coaching is where someone sits with you and works with you. They watch you work. You talk out loud. You hold their hand through the process. You say, okay, now I want you to click here. Okay, now I want you to click here. Okay, cool. Now, what? Now, where are we from what we did yesterday? Okay, let's walk through that together. Coaching is like doing life or aka doing work with somebody, holding them accountable, and then walking them through everything. That That's what everybody needs to be doing, and most of us don't value enough. Um, so that's one big thing. The other thing, it's a huge it's, investment. That, that coaching is a huge investment in somebody um, time-wise. If you're taking a, like a, a key person in your company um, to spend, a, a, you know, I assume a substantial amount of time getting them up to speed. Yep. How do you how do you weigh that up? Because in my experience, I've, I've struggled with that. I've uh, I probably failed in terms of how much coaching a new employee needed, uh, and let and but at the same time trying to balance um, giving the people a bit of autonomy and letting them do their own thing. Um, so yeah, how do you like? How much time would you invest in a new employee, for example? Whatever you're doing, probably twice as much. For anybody listening, <laughs> yeah. Um, so two, two times the current, I would argue. Um, nothing's more important than the quality of people. So here's how it works for me in professional services. Okay, I don't know if everyone there's read Jim Collins and the Flywheel Effect, um, but you should. It's in Good to Great. It's an awesome book, and part of that's the Flywheel Effect. Um, but the way it works essentially for my business is acquire great accounts, step one. Step two, match those great accounts to great talent. Okay. Mm -hmm. The reason this is so important is great talent can be at capacity. In other words, if you say um, you know, that each person at the company has to service three to five accounts, people have to be good enough to service, let's say, five accounts. If they're not, they can only service two. What does that mean? They have, they're drastically lowering your revenue per headcount or your gross profit. There's no money left, so right? What happens then, so you have great accounts, step one, step two, great people, step three, great gross profit, step four, great sales and marketing, and then it goes in a circle, and you keep going. So great sales and marketing gets you great accounts, you match it with great people, the great people have great gross, great gross profit, because there's great gross profit, there's money left over to go get new accounts, and you create a rapidly scaling business based on understanding the drivers of your business. See, I had always missed the great talent part. And I believe that, oh, I can just train somebody and, you know, they'll kind of learn through the fire. Um, this doesn't really work that way. Like, for me personally, like, I'm the CEO. Like, when I wanted to get out of sales, I had my, the person I wanted to take over in my office for over a month, watching every proposal, watching every SOW. I gave up all my privacy. 
And I didn't like sit with them all day, but I had them essentially in every single solitary conversation I had every day. Shout and then I was in all of their conversations. So they started practicing, right? So I have this model called learn, engage, create. So if you learn something new and you actually engage with it, this is a key part. A lot of people learn and hope they create, but they don't engage. So as long as you learn something new and you practice it, you engage with it, you can create more value for yourself and the customer. So learn, engage, create. And so I was going through this process, brought him into the office. Now I'm watching what he does. I'm on all of his proposals. I give him feedback afterward. I take notes. We coach each other up. Next thing you know, he's closing at a higher percentage than I was because he had that support. And so now when the, you know, the leader models it, now my other leaders are modeling it because in an organization, you're, you're not as good as your best person. You're as good as your worst person. I don't care if it's a sport or a company. And so you got to have a bottom-up mentality, and that bottom-up usually needs more coaching than they need training. Um, so that's kind of number one. And then number two is people do what you inspect, not what you expect. And so a lot of times you ask someone, hey, Nathan, can you do this for me? And you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm on it. Cool, cool. All right, man. And then you forget about it. Now the key is saying, okay, Nathan, can you walk me through exactly what you did? I'd love to you know, work with – you know, love for you to show me your process and how you got where you got. And I'm going to be checking in on a Friday at 3 o'clock. Let's make sure we can do it together. Now, all of a sudden, Nathan has to do it a certain way because he knows it's going to be inspected. You'd be amazed at how often managers have clear expectations and forget the process or follow-up of inspection and then wonder why and are surprised when they do find out three months later, oh, my God, this person's been doing this this whole time because you didn't inspect. And so those are some big things I'm learning as the organization is growing is those two really important things. Yeah, awesome. Um has there been any sort of, have you got any advice on attracting really good people to your team? Has there been anything along the way that's clicked that you've gone, right, that's how I get true talent? Paid internships. Um, allows you to drastically decrease onboarding cost um, and also create a s level of earning the job that you can't. So a lot of people hire junior talent full time. Um, yeah. They have no way of screening the junior talent because you're hiring based on perceived character and you understand there's a lack of competency around hard skills. And so you kind of just hope. I was there. I did it for yeah. five years. Now we have a pretty robust internship program where we get to interview a lot more people, bring a lot more people into the organization. We then get to see who's successful. You still pay them. They're still contributing in that way, but they're learning. They're really just going through essentially your training program, but in an internship instead of a full-time job, you're paying them you know, maybe 75% less to get 100% of the same product. And so, you know, internships are a great way for that, especially in uh, industries where it's very difficult to find, like mine, it's very difficult to find um, senior talent and senior value. You can find senior talent, they usually can't create senior value. And so you're overpaying for what you get, right? Like potential is potential and cost is guaranteed. Uh, and mm -hmm. so you have to really understand like talent is potential and cost is guaranteed. So, you're uh, much riskier hiring a more expensive individual, and you're also going to have higher standards for that person in shorter time frames. And a lot of times that's why frustration ensues is because you're paying this person a lot, and so you had high expectations for this person, but you didn't give them enough timeline to meet those expectations, and so the relationship breaks. Yeah, you know. set up for failure. Yeah. Effectively, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, um, I'm conscious of taking up too much of your time. If, if we can sort of summarize this, if there's any... Um, overall sort of tip or advice you could give us for say someone who's in the um, six-figure range mm. uh, you know they might have one or two staff and they're trying to grow they're trying to expand 
get to seven figures, maybe eight figures, what's your best advice to sort of push through? Maybe they're stuck. <laughs> I think just the recognition that you're stuck because of yourself and nothing else. Mm-hmm. And really decide what you want as a man or a woman with your life. Not like if, if it's what you truly want is money, then go after money. If it's leadership, go after leadership. If it's freedom, go after freedom. But don't do what I'm doing because of what I call compare and despair. Don't compare yourself to people who don't want what you want. That's the biggest thing that I struggle with and I think every entrepreneur struggles with is we see these men and women are hyper successful and we think, ah, oh, that's I want to do I want that. The problem is is you want what they have, but you don't want what they that's want. What yeah, yeah, yeah. And yep. in other words, the only reason that person got to where they're at is because that's what they truly wanted in their core, and it was for a different reason. Because you yeah. can't go through all the crap of building something big if it's not for a bigger reason. And so if you don't have a bigger reason, be okay with what your reason is and love on your reason. Build a community around people who share your values and your reasons, but don't you dare try to build something that isn't you. Because it'll fail. You won't because you won't have the energy, the heart, or the commitment when things get horrible to stick it out. Mm. I guarantee you it'll get horrible because it wasn't truly what you wanted. Yeah. And, and figure out what that is, you know, and from there it'll it'll help you get there because it gets only it doesn't get easier, it only gets harder and it has to be truly what you want for you to be able to get great through the process. That's awesome. Awesome advice. Um, Garrett, if uh, any of our listeners want to reach out to you, how can they find you? Yeah, first initial, last name at directiveconsulting.com. So G Mergut, M-E-H-R-G-U-T-H. That's G-M-E-H-R-G-U-T-H at directiveconsulting.com or at G Mergut on Twitter, Garrett Mergut on LinkedIn, um, sales at Directive Consulting. If you can't type my name, totally fine. Um, but the uh, yeah, love to chat with you. Anything you have, any uh, career stuff, marketing stuff, life stuff. But yeah, love to connect. And um, you know, if you're a fit for us, love to also work together. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks so much for coming on the show. All right. Thanks, Nathan. See ya. Awesome advice there from Garrett. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, it'd be awesome if you could leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. And you can, of course, subscribe to us on uh, Spotify and you'll see the video version of this podcast on YouTube. Thanks very much for listening and I'll see you in the next podcast.